Welcome to another episode of the I'm with RJ podcast. Uh, the beautiful voice that you're hearing, of course, it's RJ here. We are without Alec right now. Hopefully, we'll be uh, running in the door to join us as we uh, get through this session. Uh, I am very excited about our guests today. I've had the chance to uh, start to get to know them and, and really start to get to know their business through. Uh, the wonderful folks at Canopy Boulder. So excited to dive into that, excited to dive into uh, their journey coming out of Canada and coming into the United States. And uh, I guess without further ado, I'm just going to introduce you guys as a group, the uh, Elevated Signals team. Howdy. Hey, thanks for having us, RJ. Excited to be here. Heck yeah. Heck yeah. Well, quickly, why don't, why don't doesn't everyone introduce themselves so that the listeners know uh, who's here from the team? Okay, I can go first. So I'm, I'm R. Singh. I'm CEO and co-founder of Elevated Signals. Wait, I'm, I'm Hardeep. I'm the chief product officer at Elevated Signals and one of the founders as well. And I'm Liam, uh, sales director at Elevated Signals. Great. Um, so I feel like we've got some of the important people here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So that, that's a good thing when we're going to talk about your, your journey uh, to, to not only to the States, but really how you guys got um, to where you are in, in a market that has been, for lack of a better word, pretty crazy over the last couple of years. And it seems like you guys have made some pretty significant strides up in Canada today. Yeah, That's been a whirlwind for the industry, that's for sure. <laughs> so, so tell me how, how you got to the States. How did you get involved with Canopy? How did you decide that you wanted to, to come into the domestic scene? A lot of Canadian companies, especially public companies, are, are kind of leery of, of crossing the border, if you will. So um, talk to me kind of about what's been going on lately with Canopy and that kind of stuff. For sure. So, I mean, we've always had our eye on the U.S. market uh, just as a as a tech as a SaaS company in general, it's not something you can ignore. The cannabis industry, of course, has its own peculiar peculiarities and and just the different considerations and uh, and maybe some the more traditional B two B SaaS technology. Um, however, we've always been looking at it. That said, we we've, we've been housed in the Canadian market, which is a phenomenal place to be um, in terms of like I'm sure we'll get into a bit later. It's a, it's a good place for us to develop the product. So we've uh, had, the had the privilege of working with some really awesome licensed producers up here in Canada that um, have helped drive the product forward and help us establish product market fit. Um, meanwhile, we've been looking at the United States and seeing how things are evolving down there. Of course, you know, awesome, awesome place for product knowledge and um, just a, a deep, deep roots there in cultivation, much like we have here in, in our backyard in British Columbia, Vancouver, where, where we look, where, where we're located. Uh, but we've, so we haven't, um, like we've been building the product and team up here in Canada, looking at the U S clo closely, but of course being conscious of the evolving landscape down there. The fact that it's not federally legal yet, that each state is essentially its own country when it comes to the specific regulations and systems and uh, you know stateside technology. So um, we 
we got introduced to Canopy Boulder as we were raising uh, the financing over the past year and, and really hit it off there with Patrick and Celia. They've been you know, phenomenal advisors and now investors in the company. And, um, and it was just perfect timing because we've now hit a point where when we've got product market fit in Canada, we've scaled rapidly within Canada this year. We've grown 10, 10x since January. And it, yeah, so it's just, it's time to continue our growth in Canada, become the market leader. But now we can really start looking at other, not only adjacent industries that our technology can be applied to, but other geographies. So we've been looking at Europe, but the United States, you know, that's where we want to go. Eventually we have a lot of ties there. Um, love going down to the U S and just with the, as the market evolves and expands, it's, you know, it's going to be the biggest market in the world. So we, through working with Canopy Boulder, we've just gone through uh, a lot of meetings and workshops with them in, in August and been introduced to tons of mentors and um, conducted a lot of customer discovery interviews with folks such as yourself, RJ, just like industry experts, people that have been there, done that in the industry and uh, potential customers. We've been talking to the multi-state operators and other software companies, you know, we're friends with a lot of the, the, the software companies down there like Trim and, and Backbone and just getting a lay of the land and seeing how we can collaborate, how, how we can participate, how we can collaborate, how we can integrate, which states make the most sense to enter. So, I mean, we feel lucky that we have that, that vantage point up here where we can continue to sell and grow our product in Canada, but then strategically position ourselves to go to the state that the state and then the states that make the most sense from a technological standpoint, from a just a business growth standpoint, from the proximity proximity of where we're able to service them most effectively, and so on. Totally. So, uh, not to like make a pun out of it, but uh, how about the elevated elevator <laughs> speech? Like, what what is what is what is elevated signals uh, for somebody who's sitting out there and be like, wow, ten x like. <laughs> what is this thing? What, what are these guys crushing here? Okay. Yeah, I'll get that started and uh, the guys can jump in. I'm sure like we, uh, yeah, ultimately today, the, the product that we provide is it's, I'll start off by saying it's not seed to sale. Seed to sale software was what was there when we first got into the market. And we've seen in Canada that, you know, things have really changed. Seed to sale has not fulfilled the needs of most producers. So we always intended to go far beyond that. And now what we do is we provide a manufacturing execution software system that covers what seed to sale does within production. By production, I mean cultivation, processing, extraction, and so on, essentially seed to package good. So it covers the inventory aspects, but it layers on things that have been missing that producers have been doing manually or not doing at all, or just trying to hack together a variety of systems or build their own systems in-house if they have the funds, like some of the larger pubcos in Canada. And so those additional aspects that you layer the time-stamped inventory onto it are um, quality records. So we're a very quality-focused company that has been driven, thankfully, in part due to Health Canada's requirements around rigid quality compliance, essentially following GPP, good production practices, and GMP, good manufacturing practices, which a lot of companies have adopted. And that elevated signals itself is uh, you know, becoming validated and certified on. 
So we integrate the inventory with the quality record keeping. And uh, that then allows producers to run their, their business, uh, operate more effectively instead of... So what, what they typically do with paper before elevated signals, if they're not using elevated signals, is they'll have a seed to sale software system and then they'll have a paper-based record keeping system, which is binders essentially of and printed, printed forms and which can work okay on a small scale operation. But when you start scaling up, uh, it gets very messy. And then even at the small scale, it's like, you know, what's the trade-off in terms of time that you're spending on using a paper-based record-keeping system versus a digital system? It'd be kind of like saying, you know, go back to using a typewriter and sending mail through the paper mail through the, through the letter carriers. Uh, no one would do that. You're not going to turn your, your email system off. But the problem is that, that yeah, a system like ours just didn't exist that could do the government compliant inventory tracking combined with the Health Canada or any like quality record keeping standard, GMP quality standards, uh, record keeping, integrate those, make it really easy for producers to do their day-to-day business. But then what we're doing is also compiling a data set that is linked to this timestamp inventory. We track the, the plants and the batches as they move throughout their life cycle from seed into veg, into flower, through the processing and manufacturing processes. Um, and we can we can look back and see, okay, how is each batch grown? We also, we link in environmental data into that record as well. You can see, with seed to sell, you just see how the plants moved through their inventory stages. But now we have that, then we also see all the actions that happened that, that were undertaken on the plant, where you're applying, whether you're applying a nutrient, pest control, uh, just doing an inspection of plant health, all that data that was previously stranded on paper or siloed in multiple digital systems or just not captured at all is now available on that batch record. And then we link in environmental data that is geo, you know, it's geo-specific to the different regions of a particular room. You can find out ultimately like some of the producers we've been talking to in the United States that are very interested in optimization of their performance in terms of cost and, and yield. Um, or want, just want to know things like, you know, why or, or like what strain should I be growing that's going to ultimately give me the best ROI? Because I may have this like amazing fire cultivar that's just like everyone loves, but I'm not realizing that it's costing me three times as much to produce and it's costing me, you know, like a half, like two weeks longer to produce and something that maybe almost as good, maybe it's 90% as good uh, in terms of just customer feedback, but it's like way more profitable for me. Of course, we want to please the customer, but we also want to stay in business. So it's just the finding that that balance. I think you made a couple of good points there. I kind of want to pick apart a couple of them. You, you mentioned that um, sort of seed to sale. We, we always call it the, the first wave of, of technology, if you will. Uh, and, and really it was this everything, everything for everybody, one size fits all type of solution. And, and really, I think what we're seeing in, in second, second wave of cannabis technology from companies like Elevated Signal really is that a progression of that mentality of, okay, we're not going to try to do everything for everybody, but we're going to try to do this one aspect of it and take it from just this really basic 
um, plants move through a room concept to um, let's just let, let's crush out every piece of this this growing process, this manufacturing process from uh, a data and optimization standpoint. And so I, I, I love that you brought that up because I think that's a, a major thing for a lot of people to understand. A lot of investors are still, you know, it's a buzzword, seed to sale. It still is, right? And, and there's still companies that are selling this, you know, all everything for everyone sort of approach, um, not really keen on collaboration. They're, they're really trying to, you know, again, trying to do, um, trying to trying to be everything for uh, for everybody. And that, I don't think that, that's really an effective approach. So uh, I'm glad you brought that up. Um, one thing I, I want to ask about, and, and maybe uh, Hardeep or Liam, you guys can answer this uh, or Amar, uh, but but the the it seems like coming from Canada into the United States versus going from the States to Canada, I, and maybe I'm crazy, but it seems like it would be an easier transition the way you guys have it. I feel like Canada has and, and maybe I'm, I'm just crazier, but it has a, a more stringent setup in terms of, you mentioned GMP and things like that, which really isn't even thought about here domestically by most cannabis companies, maybe in the hemp world it is, but most cannabis companies are just starting to even know what GMP means down here. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think for us, uh, RJ, when you're talking about, you know, seed to sale and, and layering things on top of that, for us at the end of the day, it was just kind of first principles, right? So we we approached uh this this product in from a sense of just talking to a bunch of producers figuring out what was keeping them up at night and it was really that they were just trying to make sense of their businesses right so naturally just being in kind of a health you know health canada environment what it really forced us to do was really think about you know, they got these pain points, you got Health Canada, and you got this like stringent kind of, uh, you know, quality aspect to it, how are you going to run your business effectively at the end of the day, right? So it, it's it's made us think in different ways and approach our solution in different ways. And I think what we'll probably see is that it's it's gonna be pretty beneficial to producers down in the US because you know, I, I think they're going to start thinking the way same way soon. You know, when it comes to quality, like what does quality mean? You know, what does repeatability of product mean? Um, because everybody, you know, the 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 healthcare aspect at the end of the day, it's to guarantee quality of product, um, and that's what customers really care about. Is kind of like if you're going to buy some you know, some cannabis. Uh, you want to make sure that you're getting that value over and over again in terms of the quality, the price, the consistency. And that's kind of what's really lacking in the market. And that's what uh, organization or, you know, like a body like Health Canada does is it, it forces you to think in that way. Yeah, totally. And I think you're 100% right. GMP and, and repeatable quality standards. I mean, that that is, you know, that is where this is headed domestically. Um, but at the same time, I think, you know, there's been so many um, sort of, I don't know, I don't want to say outs or, or excuses made by, by uh, companies down here to data as to why quality and repeatability hasn't really mattered, right? I mean, you go into large dispensaries in, in Denver, Colorado here, where I'm located, and you know, I, I, I'm not even going to say who I bought weed from yesterday, but I go to a lot of dispensaries just to buy stuff and see what the service is like, the products are like. I'm not even going to mention who it was because it's a huge name. Um, but I mean, I have I have four seeds out of maybe two grams of weed that I ground up. 
and, and, and so, and look, like as somebody who has bought a lot of weed over the last 15 years, I have a lot of seeds that came out of a lot of bags. Right. And like the cat and dog strain came out of a bag and like, we, we've got classic strains that are bag seeds. Right. And that's cool. And I don't mind saving good seeds, but when I'm getting, you know, Hermy seeds in, in, even if it's a $25 eighth, um, it's like going to, you know, it's like going to a major supermarket for, for the level of the company that I bought from the dispensary I bought from. It's like going to a major supermarket and getting, you know, rotten, uh, you know, apples or something. Right. It's just like, how do you really let that happen? I mean, and I think at the end of the day, the, the, the thing has been there without that sort of, um, true domestic marketplace the way Canada does, right? Like I can, I can get something mail ordered in Canada, right? Um, I can't do that here in the States. So there hasn't been that sort of, uh, to me, I, I don't, I don't think the competitive landscape has dictated it enough, but now that you're seeing a lot of consolidation, you're seeing a lot of new players enter the market again, especially in Colorado with the way the laws have progressed here uh, over the last 12 months that have allowed the consolidation and sort of outside interests to get involved uh, in, in the state here, specifically in Colorado. Um, I think you'll see uh, not only people coming in who are concerned with GMP, but in that kind of concept, but also um, people that are here who have been doing it well, right? But like you said, they've got a bunch of binders filled with a bunch of data that they're not really making use of. Now, how do I progress that? How do I take this data, which I'm already generating, um, whether it's for the state record through through something like metric or it's um, just simple simple data from a, a kind of a QMS standpoint, you know, how am I going to actually use this data moving forward to stay competitive and stay ahead of um, you know, the companies that are mass mass producing cannabis now. And, and like I said, you're finding herms in a couple of a uh, couple of a couple of grams. Um, so I, I absolutely agree there. I think uh, I think quality is is kind of catching up to to reality here, uh, whether you're looking at Colorado or just generally speaking. And then that's cool to see. Yeah. And what, like at the end of the day, it just comes down to market maturity and in, in, in my opinion. Right. So we've we've uh, worked really closely with with our producers and everything that we've built in our software has kind of been through this transition uh in the canadian canadian market when it comes to producing cannabis right so we we think that the us you know uh just like canada here there was a lot of capital in the market over the last few years we saw a change in that that really forced the producers to think about cost of goods sold which made them really think about you know, how are they going to make that repeatable product over and over again for a certain given price so that they can make their margins? And and that's just kind of, I think, you know, it's early days for, for this mm-hmm. market. And I think we'll we'll see more and more of this uh, as, as, you know, Canada matures, but as well as the U.S. matures. Mm-hmm. And to your, to your, yeah, and to your point there, yeah, we are, we do feel very lucky to be building this in Canada with a close eye on the U.S., the regulatory landscape here, and just the scale of the producers, you know, like pouring lots of money into infrastructure and technology has lended itself well to us building uh, a strong, strong manufacturing platform that is very quality and regulatory focused, as we believe that that model is going to be exported around the world. Canada being the first federal G, federally legal adult use G7 or G20 country even to, to do, to go this route. Uh, a lot of other countries are, are looking at that approach 
And by building us, building our, our software to that, to these standards, um, thinking about cost, quality, and operations, like all, all in one package, we do believe that that puts us forward and ahead in the game. We probably wouldn't be going for GMP certification of our software if we weren't in this market right now. And then, like we talked to our advisors in the U.S., uh, one of our, our investors, Argonautic Ventures, there, you know, they've invested in other like seed to sale companies and so on. They're like, look, guys, like I know everyone wants to rush you to the U.S. Investors want to see that you got a U.S. footprint, but you've got lots of revenue runway in Canada. We've got a healthy economy and market up here where producers can afford to pay us, you know, like a, a decent amount for what the, what they're getting for what the software is worth to them. And they are, they're all growing in their business as well. So like we we're just rising up with them. We've got lots of room to grow in Canada and then that allows us to build this robust platform and then really target where to go in the U S we've looked at, uh, the competitive landscape and have not found company that integrates these three pillars that I mentioned effectively, like we have with inventory automated batch record keeping at a GMP level and environmental data. And from all the conversations we've had with us producers so far, it just seems like there, there is product market fit. Um, we, there's a few things we need to look at, like the metric integration and so on, as we've talked about with you, RJ and, um, if we were in the States, we'd probably have spent a lot more time just trying to wrangle, stick handle the metric integration versus building this robust quality platform. So. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so let's take a, like a, a kind of a, I don't know if it's a major step back here, but you know, you talked a lot about building in the, in the foundation of the platforms of how, how did you guys decide to build this? I mean, what, what was the, the spark, no pun intended of, 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 of uh, of the decision to build this? Because I'm looking at all three of your backgrounds. I mean, um, I, I see a wide range of successful companies that y- y'all have been, you know, uh, part of in some some capacity or another. So, so how did how did Elevated Signals really come to be? Yeah, I can go first. And I'd really love Hardeep and Liam to give their backgrounds and how that all contributed to the company. Um, by the way, our, our CTO and co-founder Ben is uh, also a key part of this journey. He's not joining us today, but I. So my background is probably like the biggest and most significant part of my career that led to Elevated Signals was being the project manager and then eventually the general manager of a facility called the Biotron Experimental Climate Change Research Center in southwestern Ontario, which is an agricultural academic hub. And there we were working on a facility, yeah, the Biotron facility that was essentially a series of controlled environments research labs that brought together entomology, plant science, uh, earth science, microbiology into a facility where the scientists were collaborating and building uh, controlled environments from bench top level to walk-in growth rooms. And then all the way to like on the rooftop, we had hermetically sealed greenhouses where you could do experiments. Uh, you, you could essentially create mini ecosystems with live plants, insects, and microorganisms subject them to a variety of environmental stresses like climate change. You could introduce pollutants and pathogens in this sealed like level two uh, containment environment and then, and then see what happens in, in order for us as a, as a civilization to figure out how to adapt. We know that we aren't going to be able to stop some of the major impacts of climate change, but we can 
definitely learn how to, to adapt if we do the research. So I worked on that facility with all these amazing scientists and just learned so much and got inspired to work on things like sustainable agriculture. And uh, But the interesting thing is that a lot of the systems that we deployed in the Biotron are, have now been adopted by the cannabis industry. So when I was there, we procured Argus greenhouse control system and installed that to control those green, sealed greenhouses I mentioned. And now like our industry partners and customers like Tantalus Labs are using Argus. And so it's all about creating that perfectly controlled environment, whether it's indoor or greenhouse. And then now, you know, we even have outdoor customers that are can't necessarily control the environment, but they can look at the data and figure out what, uh, you know, the best way to grow under those conditions. So that was like in the, the mid 2000s, I was doing that. Fast forward several years, I worked on uh, other research facilities and you know, worked at a consult national consulting firm here in Canada, and then eventually went back to grad school at the University of British Columbia because I wanted to just take things to the next level. I wanted to study water engineering and eventually get into irrigation optimization. And that's when Elevated Signals was born. So that was 2016. And we started, I was, uh, that's where I initially met Ben or one of our other co-founders at UBC. And we had started talking to cannabis producers. At that time, there was a medical program in place nationally in Canada. The adult use was, you know, it seemed like it was on the horizon. So it seemed like good time to get involved. And it was actually, actually, I wasn't even thinking about being in the cannabis industry, but my parents who live in a suburb of Vancouver and actually my, my dad's uh, retired like federal police officer. So it's kind of interesting, but they, they saw a uh, newspaper clipping of this massive cannabis greenhouse, state-of-the-art custom-designed facility for cannabis being built essentially in their in their neighborhood. And so they sent me this clipping. And actually with that newspaper clipping, the residents were complaining that this facility was going to be draining the aquifers of water. <laughs> and they complain about everything. Like, you know, there's too much light being thrown off of it. It's like they just didn't want it. It's like NIMBYism. So fair enough. But... My mom said, hey, maybe you should go talk to these guys. You're doing water engineering at UBC. Maybe you can work on a project with them. So that's really what kicked things off. We went to Townless Labs. I reached out to them and they were immediately like opened their doors. They're just like, yeah, you guys are UBC, a bunch of engineers who want to work and help us with stuff. We've got like a laundry list of like a hundred things that we don't have. And they're all like tech forward guys that, and uh, they just couldn't find the solutions in the industry that they were looking for. They knew they were probably going to end up getting a seed to sale system, but they were hacking with like wireless sensors and trying to just, yeah, you know, deploy technology that they could do themselves or scour the earth for the best tech and weren't really finding it. So that turned out to be the genesis of an awesome industry partnership with Tantalus Labs. They really opened our eyes into what was needed in the industry. We didn't stop with them. We went, we did a tech accelerator at UBC and talked to about 50 producers and industry experts in Canada and the U.S. within the first two months there to kind of to establish like what are the major pain points in the industry. And that was 2016. And so some of the stuff we're talking about today that we've built is still are still gaps in the industry um, that are now finally being addressed. But it was that first challenge was that no one was happy with seed to sale software. So inventory tracking was getting um was challenging the record keeping for health canada compliance was all being done on papers 
which was extremely inefficient and risky to the business because there's potential for errors. There's potential for just missing records going missing or not getting done. And then, you know, that, that just sucks for like running a business, but what it can really do is slow your business down and prevent you from making money because if health Canada comes in and audits you and see, you don't have those records in place, they're not going to allow you to ship that product. Uh, so that was a major pain point. And then environmental data, you know, working with environmental control systems and greenhouse controls, you get hardwired sensors that, uh, first of all, it's a siloed data system and it's really hard to get data in the places that you want the data, like maybe in the plant canopy, in your ducts, below the, below the beds, wherever you want to put sensors. And that's, you know, IoT was the thing at that point. So we just looked at that whole picture and said, uh, like, so we weren't interested in, you know, taking on seed to sale, the seed to sale industry or, you know, becoming a compliance tool. Um, we were really interested in data science and becoming agritech and an, an optimization platform for, for making these facilities more efficient from an energy, water, and waste standpoint. But we, we saw those bleeding neck wounds and realized that that really laid the foundation for a scientific platform. Because if you've got good inventory tracking, um, we actually we started working with Anandia Labs, which was acquired subsequently by Aurora. But Anandia spun out of UBC, Jonathan Page's company there, where they were doing uh, genetic research on on optimizing, you know, creating new cultivars that had a variety of different properties um, that are beneficial. And they needed like a good R&D system for tracking um, just inputs, processes and conditions that the plant's exposed to and mapping that to outputs in, ter- outputs in terms of yield, quality, cannabinoid and terpene profile and so on. So okay, we need to build this. That's how it started. And then segue because I couldn't have built this on my own at all. And then it was just serendipity that I met Ben and Hardeep who I'll let them Hardeep give the background there. But you know, like initially we thought it was an engineering problem working on sensors and I thought we're gonna be doing irrigation optimization, but then realized, wow, this is a software development project build a SaaS platform here and just fortunately met these two guys that had come from uh, a strong software background. They were part of a company that was acquired by, built and acquired by Adobe. And we had a lot of shared interests and shared passions and we met at the right time. So Hardeep, you want to give your take on the Genesis? <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, it was, it was really interesting for, for both Ben and myself. Um, so we were working at Adobe, um, you know, we have both tech backgrounds um, and we were, we had left Adobe and we kind of wanted to work on more social impact ventures. So we were looking at, you know, the future of education, the future of uh, agriculture, as well as the future of energy. So we initially, you know, we were looking at things like behavior and energy efficiency, you know, looking at uh, IOT within, within uh, vehicle systems and then ultimately, you know, really wanted to focus on something around climate change. Uh, and then, you know, that that was something that we were kind of hacking on. Uh, ben, our CTO, you know, he was building this uh, little automated garden out in our hack space uh, where you could just kind of leave it alone and it would produce some uh, produce some lettuce for you. Uh, and and uh, and then we just happened uh, to to meet Amar and. 
you know, we were looking at cannabis from, from really, like you said, it was a optimization, you know, kind of data science, just being a bunch of nerds, uh, just, just building, building. Yeah, exactly. We were, we were building, you know, we were building our own sensors. We were ordering components from China, you know, really thinking about, okay, like if we were to build this technology, what would it look like? You know, what, what's the kind of, you know, world that we envision in 10 years, 20 years. And uh, cannabis was actually something that we got interested in from not just an agricultural perspective in terms of, you know, what is it going to take to grow plants 10 years from now, 20 years from now in kind of a, a sustainable, repeatable way where, you know, the world's changing around you and you got to provide food for your economies. What is that going to look like? Uh, and then just kind of, you know, near term, it was like, okay, cannabis is coming online, you know, from a social impact side, it made a lot of sense for us. You know, it's been uh, classified as a certain scheduled drug. Uh, you know, that was also another take on it was just like, how are we going to make an impact there? So uh, for, you know, us, it was, uh, it was common ground in terms of just what is the overall impact that we want to make. And uh, that, that's part of the Genesis story there as well. And then I'll uh, throw it over to Liam. He's got a bit of an interesting background as well. <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask how Liam fits yeah, in. Yeah, uh, I'll, uh, I'll just throw, a, I guess, a couple words here. Fitbit for cows. Ask him about that one. Yeah. <laughs> and Liam's been here since almost the beginning, too. He was, he was hired number one. So lucky to have him on board from the early days. Yeah, no, it was it was awesome meeting these guys, and uh, you know, a great takeoff point sort of to where we are today. Um, my story is a little bit a bit different. I was just laughing when you were looking at my LinkedIn profile. You're like, man, this guy really likes cows or something. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a, it's a little bit different. Like, um, so I was also went to the University of British Columbia um, way back when um, the original goal was was to go to vet school. Uh, really interested in sort of large animal agriculture, you know, more industrial agriculture, cows, horses, sheep, chickens, all that, all that good stuff. Um, so I was at UBC for a bit and, you know, enjoying Vancouver and then um, also decided to do, to go to grad school uh, at UBC. And sort of once I, I saw the light and, you know, realized that vet school wasn't going to be an option, uh, you know, looking around Vancouver to see where I could find some sort of, you know, dairy science jobs and, you know, no, I was surprised to, I think, you know, only myself. Uh, <laughs> Vancouver is not the dairy mecca of the world that I was hoping it was going to be. Um, but really what interested me, you know, when I was doing my master's and, you know, thinking about sort of the future is like, you know, this cool intersection of technology and agriculture. Um, essentially what like I was doing was, you know, putting Fitbits on cows and monitoring their activity as a way to use that behavioral data to like, you know, understand how you can help these cows sort of live a better life, you know, be more um, productive on the farm, lower their sort of emissions and, and all that kind of good stuff. So uh, from there, I was able to work at, at a um, enterprise accelerator, um, sort of similar to Canopy Boulder, but, you know, unique to Canada, looking at ag tech companies in the animal health space. And uh, Amar and Hardeep came in one day to pitch when like the early thing of elevated signals and I was just floored. I was like, wow, these guys, these guys see the vision, they see the light. And uh, yeah, it was, it was super cool, you know, just um, really being able to appreciate someone else's 
interest in this technology and seeing how it could advance, you know, agriculture, sustainable growing, and then sort of just optimization. So uh, really funny on my, um, I don't know if it was my first day or on the first week, you know, I came to a, uh, I came to the office and it's like a little shoebox office size thing. And then I saw Ben or the CTO and, uh, and Ben and I hung out a lot together and, uh, in first year and, you know, we're always blazing and hanging out. So I just had a good laugh. I was like, of course, you know, our paths would cross again in this, uh, company and everything. So, um, yeah, it, it's been, it's been awesome. It's been, been great. The team's been growing and, uh, yeah, it's just been a, been a great privilege to work with these guys. I, I, I thought you were kidding when you said Fitbits and cows, but you're serious. I'm, I'm dead serious. Yeah, it's, that was like, I think, I think it was part of the original pedometer technology when they're like, oh man, you know, this cow was walking around a lot. She's lying down, she's standing. And they're like, I'm sure people would love to know how much they walk every day. <laughs> And then, and then Fitbit is just run with it. And uh, yeah, I'm not going to say they stole my idea, but you know, I didn't get anything on their IPO. So I know I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not too great typical, about it. T- typical. They, they always steal the ideas from the little guys. What about, exactly. what about the temperature monitoring, Liam? How did that work on the cow? <laughs> yeah, how, yeah, how is that done? Tell us more about that. So the, yeah, the temperature monitoring is uh, a little bit interesting. goes more into like the physiology behind it, but like looking at internal temperatures, uh, monitored, you know, from south of the border, let's say in that kind of area and, uh, and correlating that to activity. Um, so if you ever want to know anything about like ovulation and pregnancy, that's really, you know, I'm, I'm the funnest guy at the party to talk to about that. Kind of stuff. <laughs> that, that is honestly amazing. It's honestly amazing. Yeah. Um, and, and, and it's a straight line from, from, you know, uh, the, the, the pregnancy patterns of, uh, of cows, uh, to, uh, to quality cannabis control. You know, that's, that's definitely it makes sense. It, exactly. It, actually, it couldn't be straighter yeah, actually. Right. It's a nice correlation, <laughs> but, uh, one, uh, one actually kind of interesting thing too, you know, about this sort of dairy and, uh, traditional agriculture world, same issues that were sort of plaguing the cannabis space, you know, everything is done, on pen and paper from, you know, daily milk records to veterinary checks to, you know, um, breeding and pedigree information, stacks and stacks of binders. And when you're, you know, a sad grad student, you're the one who's putting all that information into the computer. And you're like, I cannot believe this industry is, you know, a hundred years old, uh, even longer. And it's, it's still on pen and paper. Like there's been no sort of digital transformation. And you know, when we were working in the original part, you know, in the, in the earlier days of Elevated Signals and this pen and paper issue was coming to light, it was just like, wow, you know, this modern new industry in the 21st century um, is operating on the same sort of operating procedures as even the most antiquated industries. So, you know, really interesting parallels that you can sort of draw. And, and part of my hope, you know, with the company is like being able to transfer this technology into other markets, you know, whether that's uh, agriculture, brewing, um, you know, emerging um, psychoactive companies or whatever, but, you know, really moving the, the needle forward in digital transformation. Yeah. And, and that's such a great point. It, it's, it's crazy how, and I, I, I want to call them niche industries or markets, but like, that's total bullshit. Like 
uh, you know, the, 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 the dairy industry is not a niche industry, right? And, and yet you, you're, you're still using pieces of paper to, to track stuff. I mean, my, my, uh, my dad is a, a guy that owns a, a, a construction and swimming pools, primarily swimming pools. He does a lot of construction around pools, renovation, servicing, maintenance, commercial, all that kind of crap. But you know, it's the same thing, right? He's still, everything is still by, by paper, um, and, and, you know, 10 years ago when I was trying to optimize his business long before I really ever started to think about cannabis data or cannabis optimization from a technology standpoint, it was sort of the way you were describing that uh, the, the lab or, or the grow that was near uh, your house, Amara, is that uh, it, it's like people just trying to make stuff happen with whatever they could find, but there isn't something out there specifically for their industry that's going to do what they actually needed to do. Um, and, and I, I think that for me was what really set my journey forward. Um, you know, being somebody who was, uh, you know, a, a manager type person in a business that went to law school and, and certainly has no business, you know, running a data company at the end of the day, but, but that's what, um, technology, right. Is what, what these industries need, whether it's, whether it's dairy, it's swimming pools or it's cannabis. Um, and it's, it's, it's really optimizing those industries through technology and, and taking the antiquated away so that people can just get down to doing work, um, as opposed to worrying about billing and, and using data or not using data that they're collecting and all this other stuff. And it, it's still mind blowing to me. Um, it's still mind blowing to me that that we're looking at this. It's also kind of funny to me that I, what I'm seeing more and more of in, in our conversations lately with with technology companies is um, people are, are are really looking to take technology from cannabis to other industries, right? And again, that first wave move was really like we're going to take this thing that we used in brewing or whatever, and we're going to bring it to cannabis and try to use it here without really understanding sort of the intricacies of um, the market. And, and it's funny that it seems like the, the path that's actually going to work here is that cannabis is going to launch a bunch of technology that, that changes some of these other industries. Um, and it's, it's funny to think again, funny to think that there's these industries that have been around forever um, and, and they're still, sort of behind the times comparatively to what cannabis is doing. But I guess they just don't have the energy and the excitement around those industries. Uh, I mean, how many people are putting Fitbits on cows right now um, comparatively to trying to build out some kind of cannabis platform at this point? So you're totally right. It's, it's like at, at the end of the day, you know, cannabis, there was a lot of capital invested into cannabis. Uh, you know, so it was, it was, uh, it was a chance to kind of take a, take a refreshing, you know, look into just how do we run these businesses? You know, that saying, having said that, RJ, like, you know, the Canadian cannabis economy has, has actually gone down that route. Like they, they tried to take technology from existing, uh, you know, like Mar mentioned environmental control systems, you know, some of those things work, but then, you know, your pharma, you know, like with, with uh, quality systems, the the big one for us uh, here in Canada was ERP systems. You know, a lot of people were looking at ERP systems to really kind of fill the void, help them figure out cost accounting, help them try to figure out how to optimize their businesses. But you know, you're that kind of stuff works really great when you're in like chip manufacturing or some kind of industry where 
you know, you have a very controlled environment, uh, processes are, you know, mapped out. A lot of our industry is still learning about how to grow these plants. It's a biological kind of living, breathing organism. So it doesn't really behave like, you know, some, some, uh, some carbon wafer, you know, wafers or, or anything like that. Right. So a lot of people, you know, were, were looking at these systems, trying to bring them in and then ultimately realizing that, uh, that they weren't really, you know, plug and play solutions for them. They had to spend a lot of time trying to figure out how to make it work for the cannabis industry. But, you know, the the thing about these these system is you put them in place and then, you know, we we were in a position where some people put these in place and then, you know, rec- recreational legalization happened, right? So now you got different products that you can put out. You can yeah, you have different things that you want to track and you know, different things you want to cost account for. So you have to go back, you're back to the drawing board trying to figure this all out. And and that's kind of the challenge that the cannabis industry has faced is they've really had to figure out a way to be agile. And a lot of the solutions that they've been trying to look at, you know, they were they were meant for established industries, right? So that that's kind of the the key difference. And here. they don't do the quality record keeping. Like when people started deploying Sage, I was like, oh man, okay, the ERPs are getting in the game now. I'm sure they've got like pharma level batch records that seamlessly integrate with inventory and cost accounting. If you had that, that'd be pretty powerful. But they didn't. So you know, some of the big names went with these ERPs and ended up either trying to build their own digital system to patch onto that, which we know doesn't work very well unless you're spending all your time on that, like we are, or they, they were just doing paper plus ERP and then environmentals again, don't make into the ERP. So. Yeah. And I mean, they're, they're, again, you, you guys are making such great points here that I, I think we can spend about 10 days talking about some of this stuff here, but, um, but yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's a really basic concept, like pull it, like pull it together for, for listeners out there. Like, if you have a B2B CRM and it doesn't connect to your compliance data, like what, what do you even have that thing for? You know, if, if, if all of these things are, you know, I'm going to take all these things and, and duct tape them together and nothing really uh, <clears throat> ultimately, like you said, integrates with records, compliance records, quality records, health records. Like if it's not integrated, then really at the end of the day, like why are you even using it in this industry? Um, and I think a lot of people are, are either coming to Jesus or, 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 at least domestically will start to come to Jesus. I think a lot of people are rebuilding their tech stacks right now. A lot of conversations I'm having uh, with bigger MSOs are, or just, you know, leaders in, in state specifically are around. Yeah. We're ripping our entire tech stack out, going back down to the studs and figuring out what we should do from here, because this really isn't working and, and we're too big of a company to continue run on. Like you said, uh, duct tape together with pieces of paper filling in the gaps. It's not that's not an efficient way to go forward as as the domestic market opens up um, and, and becomes more competitive. So um, I see our our good friend Alec has come in out of out of the London rain to join us. Uh, I do want to see if Alec has anything to add. He usually doesn't, but but let's see what he has to say. I was just curious. Uh, you know, what do you guys think the future of cannabis is in Canada? Yeah. I think we've all got our own perspective, maybe converging, maybe diverging. But I think what we've seen is the it can't, because it was federally regulated, producers were able to go public and build these massive public offerings and get a lot of capital injected into businesses to build massive footprints um, of just 
like large scale operations, hire up, staff up, build big organizations. And that has worked well in some cases and not so well in others. And I think, uh, you know, I'm not telling any secrets here because again, they're public companies and everyone's seen what's happened with the public markets here. Uh, in, uh, so we saw this big buildup and then a bubble. And then these companies were, you know, they were paving the way in a lot of ways because uh, they were, I, and I don't mean that like they weren't paving the way in growing cannabis because it has been grown by uh, a lot of talented people for for many, many decades before they came along, but they were paving the way in terms of the legal framework and dealing with the Health Canada regulations and, and trying to build a, a national distribution platform. Um, but in a lot of ways, yeah, it, it hasn't worked out. And I think the customer feedback has been there uh, around, you know, cr criticisms around just the, the quality of the product. And then the economics have not worked out for the shareholders either. And that's just some of the pains of being early in the market too, before the market's even ready to, to accept all these massive volumes of cannabis that have been grown without distribution. Like retail is, has been like very slow to take off in Canada. And that's just, that's just wrapping up. Um, then there have been some successful mid-sized producers that were part of that mix. And then the craft scale of license, the micro cultivation license only came out. I think it was just last year it was launched. And then, this year where the first licenses were coming out. And so we've landed some, so we've got customers in all those buckets, micro, like the awesome craft producers, we've got uh, midsize is probably our sweet spot. And then we've got some enterprise producers like Pure Sun Farms that have 1.1 million square feet of canopy and you know they're, they're doubling that. So um, yeah, so I, I think the future lies somewhere probably in the middle of like, high grade cannabis at scale. I think the craft producers are going to do awesome. It's just like there's an economic challenge for them because right, they don't have the, the capital raising power. So a lot of them are small scale farmers and they're you know really good at what they do. And, and the product is best in the world, right? The flower and the extracts, but can, you know, what are the economics going to be? How, how are the regulations going to affect their ability to, to be profitable and continue? So we don't know how it's going to shake out. There's always going to be a place for, for macro brew as it were. Um, and I'm hoping that the mid-sized market really, really shines and that we have a strong base of the pyramid with the craft producers that get the right economics that, you know, we're hopefully, you know, seeing in the craft brewery industry and so on, but they have to open up things like Farmgate. So Farmgate has just been approved in British Columbia, meaning like you can go to a winery, you can go to a brewery. Our office is in like the brewery district of Vancouver and you can, you can buy beer that is brewed right there with cannabis. You can't do that. The producers have to sell their product wherever it is to the provincial government. And then it's distributed to retailers. So Farmgate is now coming where you can actually go and have like an awesome experience on the site and they get, you know, better margins, presumably from that direct to consumer approach. That's my take. Damn it, Amar. That was my Farmgate <laughs> one. Oh, damn it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Cause I'm drinking at 33 acres right now. I was like, Oh, perfect. I got it. Nailed it in the bag. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's awesome. I, maybe I'll just piggyback on Amar's uh, just 
about like you know sort of farm gate and more from like the consumer retail experience like if you guys have seen you know uh some of the regulations in canada around branding um make it very difficult for brands to sort of establish themselves um you know as a world of difference when we were down in vegas for mj bizcon and like you know even the ridiculousness of vegas in itself going into like a um I think we went into a um, Mad Men or something. Um, and, you know, just seeing the different brands and what like a consumer shopping experience was like in a dispensary like that was so different than what it is being in Canada. Um, you know, so what I would see is really being a big differentiator is what Amar said is that farm gate is connecting consumers to uh, the growers who are, who are like growing and producing their, their awesome products. Um, you know, same with wineries, like in BC, it's great to go to the wineries and see, and see the grapes and understand the techniques and really makes you appreciate, um, that kind of stuff a little bit more. And, you know, for us working so closely with producers where we're sort of privileged to have that kind of insider scoop, cause you know, we're working with them and understanding their processes, but from a consumer level, especially, you know, people who might be new to the market or even, you know, experienced consumers as well, I'm sure would love to connect with that kind of story and, and understand that. And uh, even the producers who want to share their craft and stuff, you know, like going out to, you know, Nelson or on Vancouver Island, there's some real OG growers out there who've just been, you know, honing their craft for years. And it would be, would be super cool to get to experience that and sort of share that story. So, um, yeah, really excited for those opportunities, maybe can of tourism or something like that, but, you know, making it a little bit more accessible for I want to pass the baton to Hardeep to talk about, you know, we're talking about the future of the industry, but what about technology in the industry? Hardeep's probably one of the best people in the country to answer that question. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll talk about that in a second. I think just in general, there's, there's a lot of learning to be done, you know, mm-hmm. like, we're we're talking about something that hasn't happened in a very long time, right? It's a it's a you know a product that's been uh, you know you you can't grow it, you can't sell it, you can't distribute it, right? So there's a lot of people that are really good at distribution. There's a lot of people in the world that are really good at growing crops, uh, but now it's kind of an intersection of like you know you you got to grow it. You gotta, you gotta figure out how to ship it. You gotta figure out how to market it. And in, in each one of those things, it's a bit of a unique twist because it's around cannabis, right? It's not around tomatoes. It's not around, uh, you know, manufacturing computers or anything like that. It's a, uh, it's a very unique position for for people to be in. And uh, I'm really excited about just mm-hmm. kind of what this what this future will look like because I I think. We're going to learn a lot in cannabis, but a lot of the learnings that we're going to have is going to be very applicable for for other industries. And then uh, just to maybe talk about what Amar is saying about technology, you know, we're we're pretty fortunate here. Like, uh, in, and I'm not talking about like Canada or the U.S., but I'm more talking about it as a position, um, you know, in the cannabis industry. You it's a really good time to kind of take a step back and, and look at what's worked really well, uh, you know, across agriculture and what hasn't. There's a lot of things that have worked well, uh, you know, when it comes to, you know, automated control environment, you know, uh, you know, sensors and, and, and whatnot. And uh, there's, there's a whole bunch of uh, technology. I think that we have a, that we can look forward to. So, 
you know, a lot of machine learning to bring into this industry. Uh, machine learning, everybody, you know, looks at it as kind of like this hand wavy thing. But at the end of the day, you know, it's, it's statistics. So really thinking about how are we going to take, uh, you know, this crop that we're producing? How are we going to think about producing it in different ways, ways that we get more uh, yield? And this is kind of, you know, this is happening across agriculture in general, but you know, cannabis is has an opportunity to really lead the charge just because the amount of uh, capital that's that's been deployed in this. And and one of the I think the things that we're really excited about is being at the forefront, not just in terms of technology uh, when it comes to software, but hardware as well. Right. So we're always hacking around on on hardware projects and thinking about you know, if, if we're looking 10 to 15 years from now, uh, you know, how does hardware and software kind of play a, a role in this, right? Uh, you got certain companies that are going down and, and vendor lock-in the technology that they're building. And, and we kind of have a different philosophy where we, we think about technology as kind of, uh, you know, being, being, being an equalizer and, and really you know, think about democratizing uh, technology and, and making it more accessible to, to, to agriculture in general. And, and, uh, and yeah, just kind of really enabling kind of uh, a better world at the end of Absolutely. it. Right. So. Absolutely. Um, again, you guys just crush it. I mean, we, we, we I think we need like a weekly series with you guys. Uh, honestly, uh, Alec, <laughs> you're fired. Okay. You guys are all, all higher. <laughs> um, yeah. See, ya. enjoy London. Uh, no, no, but seriously, uh, I think I think great takes on on Canada um, specifically. You know, I think it's been a crazy market, um, but so is it domestically. It's been a crazy market, um, and in and, and markets with certainly plural. Um, but I, I find that point about <clears throat> excuse me about the, the sort of branding challenges in Canada really interesting. Um, it's the same thing that sort of uh, it was experienced in Colorado, right? Never mattered. And in a lot of places, it still doesn't matter um, where the Northern Lights came from. doesn't matter that, that Schiff grew it or Veritas grew it or whoever grew it. It doesn't matter, right? You just, it's $150 ounce uh, Northern Lights and it, it smells okay, right? That, that's really a lot of the way, uh, way that it's been done down here. Um, and obviously that, that, has in, in here been more so, in my opinion, either a cause of vertical integration or has vertical integration expanded the desired, uh, or well, is it vertical integration failed dispensaries, i.e. they needed more supply. Uh, they had to go start buying it. They, they wanted to continue this mystique of the dispensary mattered. Uh, and, and in some dispensaries, again, that, that play is still alive and well. Um, where when you go in and, and again, you buy an ounce of GMO or whatever your strain is, um, it doesn't say in big sticker, a big sticker on it doesn't say, red, you know, uh, what is it? Uh, red, Redwood Investments. That's a big company uh, out here in, in a specific dispensary. Again, we'll name, mention their name, but a lot of their flower comes from it. I get a feeling that it's a vertical play, but it doesn't say Redwood investments on on any of those ounce jars that you, you get for 125 bucks, right? It just has the compliance sticker on it, and that's it. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, whether you you want to, in theory, build the brand out based on uh, the dispensary is the is the the value spot, right? And, and really, whatever the supply is, you're still going there, um, you know. Or it's it's a it's a legal concept like you guys uh, seem to have in Canada. I mean, it's it's a 
I think it's a challenge for the development of the market. It kind of leaves the market stagnant. Um, but at the same time, again, Colorado has seen just steady growth, right? They've never experienced, you know, the crazy dip in, in the supply chain. And uh, I mean, obviously businesses have gone out in Colorado, but but in two years, more businesses went out in California that I think were started, via, if you ask my personal opinion. I don't know what the data is offhand, but there's a lot of people that are no longer in business um, or, or never even operated in the legal market, but, you know, use the license to do something they weren't supposed to. Um, and, you know, whereas Colorado has just stayed steady and California is really all about branding because everything's prepackaged, uh, where in, in Colorado, you're able to just, you know, go in and get an ounce weight out in front of you out of a big giant jar. Um, so again, it makes branding less important. So yeah, yeah, it's It's definitely crazy. Uh, and, and people, uh, you know, people in California can't necessarily can't believe it when they come here, but that's the way it was in California under Prop 215 before 2018. You know, pretty much everything was weighed out in front of you. Oregon still has that principle in, in a lot of places as well. So, um, you know, it's it's interesting how, again, there's there's a variety of markets and, and sort of that branding thing can come into it. Um, and, and Hardeep, the, the point you made about technology, I mean, I, we couldn't agree more. I think technology should be, you know, uh, free and collaborative uh, as opposed to expensive and, and really privatized. Uh, a lot of cannabis platforms to date have taken a really expensive approach um, to providing their services, whether it's because they didn't build their own platform and they rely on an integration that they don't disclose uh, or it's just because they want to make a bunch of money. Um, you know, <clears throat> they're not handing out, uh, you know, software and, or hardware in, in a capacity that's, um, designed to be, you know, for sort of for the collective good, um, as opposed to for their own good, um, and and again, that's I think a thing that's that's it maybe I'm ignorant to some of the other industries out there, maybe agriculture is one of them, but it, it feels like cannabis is one of those industries, or maybe the only industry that <clears throat> sort of the software builder um, has the community in mind instead of their pocket, and, and I, I know for a fact that's the way we've approached it since day one. That's the way Steph and our CTO has, has always looked at it. Was that you know, he stopped producing uh, hash because he wanted to build a platform for his community, and so where else are you going to find that? <laughs> you know, an award-winning uh, brewer is not going to give up brewing to go you know build a software to make other brewers money. <laughs> you know what I mean? That doesn't make any sense, right? But. But in cannabis, here it is. So I think that's a great point about about the collaborative and sort of uh, community concept of, of software. Yeah, on that that those points about brand and community, I just wanted to speak to that a bit more and um, and talk about some of our customers. And I think, despite the regulatory restrictions around advertising, the companies that we've been working with have been done been doing a phenomenal job of branding. Um, I'll mention some of them. And as I said, we've grown significantly this year, 10x in monthly recurring revenue growth from January to, to August. And in that time, we've, we've seen a lot of awesome companies come onto our platform and we've seen a lot of results that they've been able to, to get from it, whether directly or indirectly. But yeah, if you go to our website, elevatedsignals.com, you can see some of these companies and encourage anyone in, in the US to go look at their websites and, and just see what they're doing. And, you know, we're always learning about the differences between Canada and the U S and um, what's working well and what isn't and, and how our technology could, could help with that. But pure sun farms is uh, doing an, an awesome job 
Their branding is amazing. They became number one in sales in Ontario, I believe, within the first, which is the largest market in Canada, by the way. And within the first month of getting their product on the market, um, they're a, a million square feet, 1.1 million square feet today, doubling to 2.2 million and going on from there. That's a company that is doing things at scale. They're actually owned by Village Farms which is a major US owned like Pubco that is a tomato grower. So they're bringing that level of efficiency to growing scale. And it, it hasn't really been done that effectively uh, in a lot of cases as Pure Sun Farms is doing it in terms of their cost per gram and then the quality that they're actually putting out. Uh, Decibel is another company that we're working with. They're, one of their brands is, is Quest and uh, they're commanding the highest price per gram in Canada for what that's worth, but just awesome quality product. Habitat is another one. And the reason I'm mentioning this also is these are all the partner companies to us in the sense that we learn from them what they need and what's going to make our software better. So Habitat's an aquaponics cultivator in British Columbia, and they're actually growing salmon. Um, And the salmon in these aquaponic tanks then fertilizes the cannabis and the community like consumers just love it it was uh, the fastest sellout at product launch ever in history for their first batch and probably for their, all their other batches since i don't know but uh tantalus labs already mentioned mentioned our original industry partner they've been doing amazing branding in terms of just their ceo dan sutton is just uh, a media machine he's like they had a, a full spread in playboy not not what you're thinking but an article about it should be, should be Dan right up there, but no, he's uh, done an awesome job of promoting that company. And they're not a pubco, but he's get you know he's like communicated at that at that very high level. And then Rubicon Organics, uh, we brought them on board this summer. They're you know a GMP export, you know they're a contract to export GMP to Europe. So we're uh, we're building our, our GMP framework around partners like that, and so all these companies are doing great with branding. They're doing great with technology and really helping us drive the product forward. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think uh, we can both agree that that partners are really what drive our ability to, to build forward, right. Without, without these folks, <clears throat> folks that you mentioned and, and folks that uh, we have on our side, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's impossible um, to really, to really make the right thing. Uh, in the right progressive way that, that can be scaled with, without these folks. So um, definitely worth the shout outs. And I'm, I'm looking at Pearson farms and I mean, yeah, this is uh, definitely some quality uh, approach to, to, to building out a brand. Um, I mean, this, this looks like wallpaper that should be in my house at, at the bottom of their, of their, their pub, their public site. I, I'm in love with it. Um, and I love that they sell the seeds as well as, is the flower, uh, you know, they, they list all of this here in one place. And, um, it's, that's awesome. Well, I mean, obviously, uh, it's obvious that, that, you know, sounds like you guys are doing better branding up there than we, we were doing in Colorado. So hats off to hats off to Canada where it's happening. That's for sure. Um, <clears throat> let's, um, let's keep that shout out vibe going. <clears throat> um, why don't we, why don't we, uh, shout out your website, places where people can find your social media, your, your LinkedIn's, whatever you guys want to do in terms of plugs for, uh, for elevated specifically. Yeah, definitely. No, you can find us, uh, elevated signals.com. Um, same for our socials. Twitter is, uh, at elevated signals, same with Instagram. 
Um, love the Twitter community. Uh, love being a part of the conversation. And, uh, you know, the cannabis community in Canada is very vocal on Twitter. So uh, we love those guys and following those conversations. Um, but yeah, uh, tag at us on any of those platforms, LinkedIn. Um, always feel free to contact uh, myself, Amar Hardeep on our LinkedIn's. And uh, yeah, we're always just, you know, open to having some cool conversations, hearing what producers are doing. Uh, you know, how we can help and, uh, and grow the industry together. Yeah. And we don't want to say which states we're, we're going to go into first just quite yet. We'll save that reveal for later, but uh, we've been, we've been doing lots of demos to producers in the U S and uh, if anyone else out there listening wants to, to get in on this, get under the hood and see what we're, what we're doing here. Yeah. Again, reach out to us on our website. There's a contact form there or just hit up a uh, team or what should they use Liam? Sales? Yeah, it is sales at elevatedsignals.com or to just send me a message directly, Liam at elevatedsignals.com. There you have it. Very good. Well, I did my finger out, but one time uh, at a bar, someone put my phone number on a Jenga piece and said, you know, for a good time, text this number. And for like two and a half years, I got so many messages in like the middle of the night. Send me an email and then uh, we're, we can always connect. Liam, you, you and I have to get together. Uh, you, you sound like a very interesting and fun person between the cows and the Jenga. <laughs> there's a lot of, there's a lot of fun happening here, I can tell. <laughs> yeah, well, when we, uh, when we come to the States, Colorado, we'll definitely be a stop for on sure. the map for sure. Uh, we're a pretty active company too. Ben's a big mountain biker, nice. snowboarder, which is a surfer too. I think that's where he's at right now. Cool. Or no, maybe he's working. Sorry. <laughs> <but>, uh, yeah. <laughs> But um, yeah, no, definitely. I would love, would love to uh, touch base. That'd be great. Yeah. We'll write out Liam's number on a Jenga piece again. Yeah, right Liam Yeah. Well, I am excited to uh, get you guys here in the United States more frequently. And, and again, uh, great group of folks. It seems uh, here at Elevated Signals. Uh, really appreciate the conversation. Uh, insights into Canada and and literally no joke guys please come back anytime you want to uh, because again I, I think we've only scratched the surface of things that we can cover uh, as a group here so uh, again thank you uh, to everybody from Elevated for joining us today on the I'm with RJ podcast thanks so much for having yeah, us our Appreciate pleasure. It. thank you